Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is in the world, wherever you're tuning in from. Can you both hear me loud and clear? Yep. What the, the technology was that? I nearly used a bad word there. I think it's some kind of Apple thing. Um, I'm actually doing this show as much as anything, just to sort of make up for the fact that we didn't have an eager Pliskova match. I do want to just touch on that before we get into the um, to the final itself, of course, tomorrow, which is eagerly anticipated. Owen, I put out a tweet earlier saying, in the midst of all the excitement about this final tomorrow, I'm still a bit disappointed not to have had a semi-final today, and I didn't even have a ticket. What are your thoughts on on where tennis is at and what the factors are behind this? Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a bummer. I think it would have been a fun matchup. I think um, anytime we get to see like a huge server against a great returner is always fun, um, especially if the huge server is not exclusively a serve bot, which uh, Pleshkova is not, I don't think. Uh, so I, I think this is much more exciting than, you know, an Isner Djokovic match or something like that. But, um, y- you know, I, I'm okay with it because as you touched on, this final is pretty anticipated. So um, I'm s- sad for Pleshkova, but um, I'm okay with it as a fan. What do you think, Vanch? I, I, I put out a tweet basically just saying, look, I just think there's too much tennis. And and someone who's being made, I guess the argument against it, Vanch, is that, that um, you know, the players have a choice, but I'm not always sure that they do have a choice. 
Yeah, in this case, there wasn't really much Pushkova could do because, I mean, she played in Cluj last week and won the title there and then flies over and basically plays the next day in Doha and has been playing for eight consecutive days, nine matches in 10 days. It's just a lot of tennis. And honestly, she's been she's done so well to even get to the semis this week, like, you know, coming back from deficits in every single match that she played and uh, and basically like just surviving somehow. And like her whole her wrist is like totally bandaged up and you know, I, I was kind of fearful that this might happen, like, f- today. Not that she'd necessarily withdraw, but I thought maybe, you know, she would play a few games and then possibly it would just be too much and she'd have to retire. So for me, it's, like, one of the most understandable walkovers ever, just given uh, given the amount of tennis. It's, it was just a lot. Yeah, I saw that tweet earlier. All right, let's – um, let, I'll stop being curmudgeon. I don't know if you use that word in North America. Um, and <laughs> I'll start getting pumped for <laughs> – it's gonna be. Do you do you have that word vanch in North America? No, it's just, it's very British. But yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, if anyone who's a non-native speaker, anyway, is not familiar with the word curmudgeon, just tune into a podcast with Damien. Done. Ticked. That's my English lesson for the day. Um, Owen, uh, I think this is the first final. Am I right between Rebecca and Sviontek? Uh, vanch is uh, the, the vanch. It is. It is. Uh, That's the first one. So. Three and one, the head-to-head, Owen. And I, again, yeah. I saw a tweet from you earlier uh, on that, and I and I think I pretty much agree with that narrative that, you know, if if Rabakina wins, it becomes a sort of a, a thing, if you like. Uh, if Sviontek wins, then we just sort of, the world is back to normal and we get on with things, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting. And I, I get the sense that, um, you know, Tennis 1F, data analyst and digital media content creator, Vonch is going to disagree with me on this one. But I think... I, I think that Rabakina is is deeply in Sviantek's head. Um and um I, I think their their matches in 2023, you you have two straight set wins for Rabakina, and then kind of an abbreviated match in Rome in which Sviantek was way ahead and then kind of picked up a physical issue and didn't end up fi- finishing the match. But I, I think even that is not great for her mentally because she had this huge lead on her favorite surface and then Rabakina kind of came back at her. Um, so I, I think injury notwithstanding, I think that kind of will build Rabakina's confidence. And Sviantek's one win against Rabakina was in 2021. And I think that you could argue that that was long enough ago to be no longer relevant um, to their the current state of their rivalry. So I'm I, I'm curious to hear what Vonj thinks. But I, I think it's a pretty solid advantage Rabakina in this one. Vonj? Interesting. Yeah, I mean... I mean um... So I, I don't I don't disagree about the Rome thing because um you know that was a match that was that was on Iga's racket and it did kind of turn around and then she got injured so that is that is something that you know had she gone that maybe already the narrative would have you know flipped a little bit and we would it would be two two or you know we would be we'd, be we'd kind of be like okay you know Iga came back on the clay and then it wasn't as much of a problem this one actually this should be more um it should be more played on Shriantek's terms because. I mean, not only has she had the walkover, like she's really, really dominant in Doha. You know, like she barely loses any games. And like over the last three years, no one's even managed to get five games off of her in a, in a single set. And it hasn't exactly been easy competition either. You know, they've been like Danielle Collins and, you know, Pushkova in the past. Like so many players like Sakari, Sabalenka, you know, like a lot of really good players. But in this new version of Ego is just so dominant against um, in these conditions because like they're slow enough it's like kind of a medium pace hard court where it doesn't feel like you know 
first strike tennis, super flat hitting is going to necessarily just hit through Iga like it would in Australia, for instance. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens when they do get into baseline rallies and if Rabakina's serve does get neutralized because Fiantic does have an edge in terms of movement, in terms of, you know, just point construction in general and like using her heavy topspin forehand. So I'm curious to see how that how that pans out. If if Rabakina actually beats her here, yeah, then we can then we can really be like, okay, this is this is a matchup thing. This is definitely something like you know, Iga's, you know, Rabakina's in Iga's head, and like you know, we can we can sort of take that. But I also think it's been a long time since they've played each other. Like you know, the last time they played was in Rome, and it's been almost a full year since then. So I still think, um, yeah, like it's been a while since we've seen this one. And like they played three pretty close matches back to back, you know, last season, in in sort of the first three or four months. So this one, I think, will be a little bit different. I kind of am leaning, leaning Shiontek just because of her dominance in in Doha, and I just kind of think this one should be more on her racket than in previous meetings. There's a few answers to some questions that um, uh, remain unanswered at the moment in women's tennis, and or at least they're questions that come from me anyway. One of them is 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 Sabalenka kind of has this sort of Australian thing. I know it's still a very small sample size, but where she did kind of just keep failing to get over the line from May last year until January this year. And I still uh, will countenance Owen's argument that she's the best player in the world, although my argument has probably got weaker since we spoke about this a month ago and Owen's has strengthened. But listen, I, I want, but that is one of the questions that I think could end up being answered in the next few weeks, few months. Another one is, is Rebakana in that she keeps having these inexplicable losses at slams and her slam form is kind of a bit weird when you compare it to the rest of the tour when she's healthy, at least, especially at 500s, it seems. Then on, on top of that, we've got this Eager thing where Eager just wipes the floor with people and the Eager's bakery uh, account goes into overdrive. I mean, she pretty much doesn't have a match anymore where she doesn't either bagel or, or breadstick somebody, you know, if it's in those earlier rounds and it's not against, you know, one of the top, top players, you know, an, an Ostapenko. Uh, sorry, yeah, an Ostapenko. I mean, she's a top player, by the way. But you know what I mean. And so you've got this sort of strange head-to-head thing going on with Eager, um, which may or may not continue tomorrow. So we've got these three sort of dynamics going on, and I am looking forward to some of these questions being answered in 2024. Owen? Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Um, there's kind of this fascinating contrast between them where Igor Sviantek has this incredible consistency um, and, you know, had, had the misfortune to not be quite at her best at the Australian Open, but be- before that had won 17 straight matches. And then you have patches for Rabakina where she just looks absolutely untouchable, only to kind of have these weird losses. Um, like the uh, the loss to uh, Blinkova at the Australian Open, I don't, I don't blame her for so much because Blinkova played exceptionally and Rabakina had many, many match points in that one. So, you know, how how badly could she really have played? But... Um, but I think it was a tough loss in the sense that she was a, a pretty trendy pick to win that tournament and she didn't come close to it. So um, I, I think it's tough, but I do think Rabakina gets up for matches like this. I mean, she, um, w- you were just, you were just talking, um, Sabalenka is maybe the best player in the world. We can debate that another time, but Rabakina demolished her before the Australian Open. I think, I think Rabakina kind of craves these big matches um, to, to some extent. And, and I think the Iga 
almost has the opposite thing. Not that she doesn't create big matches, but that she's so consistent and so dominant against almost everyone. But then there's this this handful of players who can push her and pose some matchup difficulties. And I think that Iga is kind of worse in situations like that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I am interested to see how it all turn out. And I think that this could be an early indication of who's maybe best positioned to fight Sabalenka for that top spot going forward in 2024. I have a hunch, and it's not much more than that regarding the back, and though, and that is that I don't know when the going gets tough. I, I, I've seen her come through difficult matches. Don't get me wrong, but when I say the going gets tough, I don't mean in a final. I don't mean against Eager or, or or Arena or whatever. I mean in one of those early rounds in a tournament, or for example, the conditions in uh, Cancun last year. Pretty much she went to the bottom of my list. And I just got the impression she almost didn't want to be in Cancun last year. And there was sort of some things going on. I know she she was at the Billie Jean King Cup, for example. She was there in person, but she didn't play a match. And um, she kind of just drifted through the second half of last year. And she is someone who can drift a little bit through matches. With Eager, however, when she loses, it's not really a drifting moment. She just gets frustrated. She gets frustrated with herself. She gets frustrated with the way her opponent is, is getting at her. And Vanch, what is it that, that Rabakina does? I think you touched on it a bit earlier. But what is it exactly that Rabakina does that hurts Iga so much? Well, when the serve is like the best weapon in women's tennis. So, you know, free points, aces, mixing, uh, you know, tons of variety in the in the service box. And also just jamming Iga quite a bit. And Iga's like the best returner in women's tennis. So it's like really hard to... She wins like almost 50... She wins over 50% of her return games. And But against Rubakina, like Rubakina just plays this kind of first strike tennis that really rushes Iga. She takes so much time away from Iga by hitting really flat, deep and hard to Iga's forehand. And, you know, Iga drops the ball a bit short and then Rubakina is able to really tee away. And especially on the backhand, she can really hurt you. It's like this smooth, effortless power. It's different from a Sabalenka where... Sabalenka has these long windups on the on her ground strokes, and you know it's maybe Sabalenka's is a bit more heavy, but Rubakina's is flatter. It's straighter through the court. It's deeper. It's you know it's and she's super precise with it as well, and just it's so well controlled. And so the the key thing is to then like get her moving side to side, but even in the corners actually for her length and for her for the way that she produces her ground strokes, she can be quite deadly on like push to her backhand as well because she has this like really clean strike where she she can hit it sort of semi-open stance and it's like really it 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 kind of neutralizes everything that Iga's trying to do. And I remember in Indian Wells it was just not even a contest because off the return as well, that's another area where Rabakina really hurts Iga, especially on the second serve mm-hmm. return. But even on many first serves, she just connects and it's this really nice pure strike that just leaves Iga like just completely rushed and starved of any time and then Iga's just having to just play defense on her forehand and I think she'd prefer to play more defense on her backhand you know to get to get the big forehand into play but if she's constantly having to be a step behind on her forehand and defend from there then she's in trouble and then all of a sudden all these rallies are between three and six shots and that's a huge advantage for Rabakana. Okay yeah. can I add on to that well, just for a second? Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. Everything you said, I agree with Vonch. They're they're great points. And um. So something else I I was thinking of when I was watching their old highlights before we started this is that um. You, you mentioned that Iga has the edge in movement, and that's totally true. But I feel like against Rabakina, it's almost not really relevant because Rabakina doesn't really want to run you side to side. She wants you to yeah. leave the ball hanging, and then she immediately hits a winner. So like Iga's ball 
is spinnier than Robachina's, but Robachina's is heavier. So she, once she's on the offense, it's not really like, I'm going to build the point. It's like, I'm going to hit a winner immediately. And that, that happens, you know? So like great movement is not all that relevant against that when Robachina is hitting the ball well. And, um, and then the other thing is, um, is her returning. You mentioned Bonch, um, the second serve return. Yeah, Robachina is just a destructive second serve returner. And with Iga's serve kind of already being a weakness, it puts her in a bit of a bind where if she goes for aces on first serves, then she's going to miss a lot and have to hit a lot of second serves. But then if she goes for safe first serves, she's not getting any free points because, like you mentioned again, Bonch, um, Robachina gets those clean swings on the first serves too. So it's... um. It's just a really tough balance sometimes where Rabakina is like attacking all the time and Iga is just on her heels, but because Rabakina's shots are so heavy, she can't even really defend. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, just having a quick look at some things in the chat. I, I, I just wonder if some things that have been going on, I haven't seen Rabakina play this week, but Jean is keen to mention uh, some of the things that she's been up to that could be slightly different. Um, uh, for example, today against Pavlyuchenko, she hit some nice volleys and drop shots. This is regarding Rabakna, of course. And he actually has a question for you, uh, actually, Vanch. Rabakna coming to the net and using drop shots this week may be a bit of a tactic she can use tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah, um, I mean, she's going to have to come to the net because, you know, if she is going to have to finish uh, points up there, like, she's definitely going to have to because uh, that's where I think, like, I mean, Iga has to force that, like, by... Um, you know, by getting these passing shots really low at her feet. And Rabakina is like a pretty decent volleyer, actually. She gets down low for a lot of these shots, and she can, she's she's quite capable up there. And she, I, I have seen her use a bit more drop shots this week and keep, you know, keep those options available for her because she does hit pretty heavy. So I think, I think those are good points. Like she is going to need to, need to, need to do that. And I think she's pretty capable of it. I mean, I saw in the, Wim the Wimbledon match that she won against Jabor the last two sets. I mean, she became like a godlike volleyer. Just through that match alone, just like coming forward and just finishing it, that she was so good at it. Conditions, Owen. I, I with eager, sort of move around a bit because we've got with the sunshine double, you've kind of got more or less the two extremes on a hard court in terms of Indian Wells being slow and stodgy, and Daniel Medvedev's famous words of he's a hard court specialist. This is not a hard court. Came there, and we know what he means. Um, and yet Miami is this super speedy sort of surface, so it makes that sunshine double even trickier to manage in many ways. But it is something that Eager managed in 2022. So, and there's other fast courts where I think she does okay, but then there seemed to be a mini Pagula problem, or certainly I remember the United Cup in Sydney at the beginning of last year. So I think she probably does prefer a slower, stodgy, clay-like uh, hard court. Um, where is where is Doha on this sort of list of speeds? <clears throat> um, so yeah, the, the conditions are kind of the X factor to me in this matchup. Um, and I, I like what Vonch said earlier about like these, um, it's kind of like, um, did, did you say like sort of medium slow Vonch? Yeah, it's about it's about medium pace in general, but it's it's slow enough where it's not it's slower than Australia. Yeah, I, I think that that's the probably the biggest thing that Iga has in her favor here because that's going to neutralize Rabakina's serve to some extent, get give Iga a chance to really get into return points with like hard and deep returns, it, and maybe also like lessen the effect of Rabakina's kind of attempts at winners as well, like we talked about. Like it might make it a little harder for her to just like club a winner the first chance she gets. So 
I think depending on the impact that has on the matchup, um, I like I I could if it has turns out it has a big impact, I give Ego a much better chance. But if um if you can't really slow down like the Robakina freight train, uh, I think it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, oh, oh, this this is just um, my uh, press pass for the Argentina Open, where I'm covering it on the ground for talking tennis, All which right. is what everybody wanted to know. Um, I'm glad I got a giggle out of you two. Hopefully, one or two others are giggling in the chat too. But anyway, um, Vanch, uh, what do you what do you think to what uh, Owen just said? Despite my slight distraction there. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, uh, that I definitely think the conditions are the X factor and probably favor Iga a bit more in this matchup, um, just because it would neutralize Rebuckina's ability to hurt her right off the first strike. Um, and that's, that's key because also another thing is that Iga is going to want to like look to change directions on the, in the ground stroke game as, uh, as well, because Rebuckina loves to hit her forehand cross court, like most players do, but for her, it's like really her preferred pattern. Like that's how she, when she does get into those longer rallies, she prefers to sometimes just roll it cross court with plenty of depth and then set up her next shot, albeit a backhand cross or go big with the forehand down the line. So Iga has to be patient, but not too patient in this one, because she also has to be willing to take the offensive and show Rubakina that, you know, she's, she can, she can also end points with some good first strike tennis as well. I think serving will be really key. So far, I've noticed this week, Iga's been hitting a lot of body serves. She's been hitting a lot of serves really close to the line. Um, and it seems like, you know, the new service motion so far, I haven't really seen that help Iga. Unfortunately, I think it hurt her more in Australia than it helped her. Actually, it really made it very vulnerable. And I think it actually made it very predictable. The the service, uh, the new like sort of service motion that we've seen her try. But on a surface like this, where it is actually bouncing up pretty high as well, and along with it being uh, medium slow, I think um, that is that's another advantage for her as well. So. I think another reason that I'm looking forward to tomorrow's match and why I'm sort of leaning towards Owen's tweet about this will give us a, a, a much clearer indication because Iga could win tomorrow and then lose the next two, but she's won a couple of matches against Rebecca, so it's not a thing. And, and the, the, one of the problems I have with these four matches is that I don't know. I mean, I think it was Owen who said the first match was a while ago, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we could just yeah. ignore that one. There's a retirement in Rome, and I think both. I think all of us would probably agree that in normal, in a normal scenario, on a normal clay court, and when I say normal, I mean Paris, Rome, not Madrid. You know, Eager's obviously the favourite, so we can almost. And there was a retirement there, so maybe we need to put that one to a side. So then we've got these two middle matches, and I guess it's just a case of which, which. Well, both of them ended up in the back and a win. I think one or two people have suggested that Iga's health in Indian Wells wasn't great at that stage. In fact, I think she pulled out of the next couple of times. Yeah, she had a rib injury in that one. I so she pulled out of Miami, she pulled out of Stuttgart, yeah. pulled out of Fed Cup. I mean, Beijing King Cup after that. So She played Stuttgart, I think, but but yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yes, that's yeah. right. No, you're right. She played Stuttgart, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess maybe we're sort of... I mean, that gives us one other match, and that was Australia, and I don't know if the conditions are exactly the same here. So... Yeah, I just think there's there's too many asterisks by by all of this stuff, Owen. It's interesting. I think on the one hand, you can kind of look at these recent matches and say that Spiontek really didn't play that well in any of them. Like Indian Wells, you kind of had the rib asterisk. Um, as Nick Nick Carter points out there, um, Rome Iga may have won. Um, the the Australian Open, like kind kind of a while ago, but. Um, 
I, I think that you can also say that it maybe if this happens one more time, that maybe Iga just isn't allowed to play that well in the Robakina matchup, you know? Um, like, I think I think it's really just not a favorable matchup for her. Her her time gets taken away. Um, and besides that Rome match, in, in the two matches in 2023, Robakina really didn't face very much adversity. Um, Sviantek had a 3-0 lead in the second set of their Australian Open match, and that kind of disappeared in a blink. And, um, and she won six of the next seven games. So I, I think to me, that's that's the interesting thing here, because what you touched on earlier, John, with Rybakina kind of floating at times, I think she's a front runner, um, which is not to say that she can't fight. Um, she she can and she has, but I think she's really at her best when she she has a lead. Then she kind of picks up steam and it's like the the snowball rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger. She starts serving better. And I think she's sometimes not the same player when she's behind. So to me, that is the question. Like, can Sviantek make her uncomfortable enough that she has to try to adjust somehow? Because I think if Rabakina is just allowed to play her standard game, she's going to win. Um, Let's get to some predictions, shall we? I think I have a bit more clarity in my mind after this discussion, but it might surprise you because I'm actually erring a bit more towards Eager right now. Um I can't tell you exactly why, but something that was said in, uh, I was looking at, maybe it was as I was going through those previous matches and looking at maybe one or two more asterisks beside the eager losses than the Rebecca ones. Rebecca has had her inexplicable losses indeed even this year. Um, So I am probably just leaning towards eager right now. And maybe that Indian Wells match can be forgotten about. And I do think that Indian Wells is a tournament that suits uh, eager more than maybe any other on a hard court. Uh, Vanch, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of leaning eager in two very tight sets. Um, I yeah. think I think the the advantage of the conditions, along with sort of the dominance in Doha, plus the tennis that I've seen eager play this week when she when she was pushed, like for instance against Azarenka, she was pushed quite a bit in that first set. But you know when she found a way to get that scoreboard pressure and get that lead. She's also an incredible front runner. She's never lost uh, a completed WTA 1000 match from a setup in her whole That's career. That's a stat. It's like 61 and 0. So, Say that again? Say that again, Punch? So every time she's won the first set in a WTA 1000 match, she's never lost uh, a completed match. The one match that she did lose was the one to Rebakina. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. So if Ego wins that first set, yeah, it's it's pretty tough to stop that freight train, but um, but I guess everyone's got a freight train these days. Um, but but yeah, so I'm for all those reasons I'm kind of leaning, and also I think Rabakina also might be feeling it a little bit physically too. Like she's also played back to back weeks now, um, was pushed quite hard against Samsonova and Collins last week. Um, this week hasn't been pushed maybe as much, but but you know she still had to go three sets against Navarro, and she still. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of tennis accumulated, so we'll see. We'll see if that. I actually think it's a bit of a shame we didn't get to see her play Pushkova today because Pushkova and Rabakin are kind of in the similar mold of player, like they're mm-hmm. very, very similar in terms of what they're good at. So that would have been like a good prep for for Iga to play this uh, before playing Rabakina. But uh, maybe that extra day of rest will actually be good too. Um, Owen, give us a, a prediction. So I can totally see a situation where. Iga is just on another one of these hot streaks that she has and just blows Rabakina away. But 
I'm, I kind of think that, like I mentioned earlier, it's been a long time since Fiontech kind of had her way with Rabakina. Like even, even that Rome match, even though there was an injury, even though she had a lead, I think to kind of have that turned around on her from a set and a breakup, um, that told me that Rabakina is kind of going to be a handful for Iga anywhere. And um, I think that she is probably, I, I think it's easier for Rabakina to play well in the matchup than it is for Sviantek to play well in the matchup. So I'm going to say Rabakina wins in straight sets. I think she, um, I think it's going to be, I, I think she's in Iga's head. I think that even though Sviantek is in really good form, she's going to step out on court and there are going to be those nerves and those memories about getting rushed in this matchup. Um, and so I think I'm going to say something like six, four, six, three for Rabakina. There we go. Well, Nerland's been very specific in his prediction, uh, but I thought Nerland was an uh, eager fan. So I'm quite confused right now, although maybe he's just a paranoid eager fan. Well, that's interesting because I think we've all sort of got slightly different takes on it. Although, uh, actually, probably Vanch and I are a little bit more similar, at least in terms of both. <laughs> Look at Ghosty's prediction here. 10-8 <laughs> in a deciding set time frame. <laughs> Sign me up for that. Sounds fun. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just love the specifics of it. Um, the poll here is equally close. And when I say poll, I don't mean Damien Kust. Uh, I mean uh, Elena Rebecca and Igor Swiatek is going to win. Thank you for the delayed laugh there. Um, I'm going to stay live for a bit longer and just touch on one or two of the narratives in argentina if one or both of you have to leave that is entirely fine but if you want to stay for another 10 minutes that's also great where are you at guys i think i have to actually get going i have a meeting at Go 10 but, oh and are you okay to stay for 10 minutes or do you have to leave as well i i think i have to head out as well i'm sorry but, um, but I, I, I will say, we've ticked the boxes I, I will say one final note before i leave um yeah, my, tra my track record picking against Vonch is atrocious i remember um uh, on on the tennis and bagels podcast we did like a draw preview for wimbledon in 2021 and vonch predicted that dennis shafavalov was going to make the semifinals, and i thought that he had completely lost it um i like i think i had Sh uh, shafavalov going out in like the first two rounds or something and wouldn't you know it? he makes the semifinals and even gives a pretty decent account of himself there so even though like i'm more confident in this pick than i usually am about a pick but I feel like Vanch is still going to end up being right. Vanch, one more word. So you're like confident, but not very confident. Okay, <laughs> <let's see. laughs> no, we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, matches like this like are, are are tough to preview because like one person has the head-to-head -head advantage, but then there's like a few other things that are in favor of um, of Iga, and it's like this is like their first real match to me where I can actually be like, okay, this is a cool, this is like a litmus test. It's on a hard court, so it's still, you know, it's still favorable for Rabakina, but it's it's there's also some things that they're they're like in a better place in time, but they're both playing pretty good tennis. So hopefully it's like a barn burner and not like a four and four or two and two type match. Yeah. I, I actually have one more question for you guys. Sorry. It, it just hit cool. me. Um if if Rubakina does win and seems to kind of like do it fairly comfortably, um, how big of a problem is she for Iga at that point? Like, are we saying that Iga is like her pigeon at this point? Are we saying that Iga is still probably going to be able to win on clay? Like, what's what's the scale of the problem if this one doesn't go well for Sviantek? It becomes more significant. Um, I don't want to go quite to pigeon status. And again, I think Philip Chatre would probably give us a slightly different answer. 
but it does it would appear a bit more of a uh, you know i think it would be even more concerning than the ostapenko thing i think the ostapenko losses uh first of all one or two a bit more explicable maybe it's just a matchup thing but it's not going to hurt eager winning 10 more grand slams five more grand slams that much because they're probably just not going to play each other that often unfortunately in terms of elena in terms of consistency and elena can just do that sometimes and that doesn't matter but when it's one of your peers we're then into a sort of federer nadal scenario if you like where it's sort of this is a guy who i keep playing in finals and i keep losing to for example and i know both eagle and elena are a long way away from that status in the game but no i do think it becomes a a, a bigger issue particularly on a hard court anyway and, and i think on grass you'd have to favor, favor elena Vanch? Yeah, I largely agree with that because Rybakina is going to be a big factor pretty much everywhere, just like Sabalenka. So those two, like, yeah, I mean, those head-to-heads are really crucial. With Ostapenko, it's also a little weird because both their matches were, you know, their first two head-to-heads were 2019 and 2021. And then there was one before Iga was number one. And then there was the there was the US Open one, which, yeah, I mean, sure, that's, that's one you can point to. But, um, yeah. Like a lot of times, these matchups just don't end up happening because there's Azarenka also, and Azarenka like on Ostapenko right now, yeah. which is like kind of a, a funny wrinkle and all of this that like that's, Ostapenko's that's, that's a funny head to head this year. Yeah, like yeah. Ostapenko's having like her best season like by far in the last fifty-two weeks since twenty seventeen, and then there's just Azarenka who's just beating her every time. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a pigeon situation. Like this last yeah. one was like six zero, six three or something. Like uh, Ostapenko should not be losing to anyone by that scoreline. <laughs> No, but then she can she can do that sometimes, yeah. both both win and lose in that manner. Uh, guys, big thank you for coming on today. I will stay live for another five or ten minutes just to talk about one or two things going on on the ATP tour. But uh, yeah, check out Owen and Vanch. Uh, Vanch, your Twitter handle is at Vanch2K? Yeah, at Vanch V2K. Um, V2K, or Vanch for money. Yeah. Yes, Vanch V2K. And of course, uh, you'll also catch Vanch's thoughts on the Tennis One app. Yep. Okay, not bad. Owen, of course, uh, you have your at Tennis Nation, am I right? Uh, is your yeah. handle? Oh, yeah, it, it, it's important that you get mine right. Not not so much Vonch's because he has enough followers already. He's yeah, like, yeah, right. a tennis celebrity at this point. In fact, if you follow Vonch, you click unfollow right now. And, and uh, in fact, <laughs> just follow the winner of, 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 of tomorrow's sort of friendly bet, if you like. Uh, whoever Ooh, wins out of a back and a and in fact, everyone should leave Vanch and head over to Owen if you're not following Owen <laughs> and the other way around. Uh, and I don't know where I stand on all that, but um, I don't mind. Uh, so anyway, yeah, but of course, Owen as well with the Popcorn website, um, which I've been pillaging somewhat over the last 18 months. Pillaging? Is that right? Pilfering. One of those two pill words anyway, uh, taking and plucking various uh, members of that team. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is another important thing, John. When, like, w- when you're credentialed, when you like get these interviews with like the, the big names, and when talking tennis like makes you rich down the line, it's very important that when you give the speeches at the award shows, that you say, "I owe it all to Owen and Scott and popcorn tennis." Um, but no, it's a. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, you'll you'll get a mention. I'm not sure about Scott. Uh, <laughs> but but no, in, in all seriousness, I think um I think that the fact that uh, a lot of the same people have written for popcorn and talk to you for talking tennis is kind of a sign that these people are just like great people in the tennis community who have thoughts that are worth sharing so. yep and uh yeah great uh, i couldn't agree more of course owen uh, a big thanks anyway for both of you coming on and I, as i said i'm going to stay live a bit longer but uh, i'll let you off let you both sail off into your various sunsets on the east and west coasts
of the US. Thank you, guys. Oh, it's fine. Thank yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, great discussion. Cheers. Cool. So as I said, I'll stay live for a little bit longer just to talk about some of the things going on in other parts of the world on the ATP tour. Maybe you, by the way, in the live chat, you can help me a little bit because I have very little knowledge of what's been going on in Delray Beach, uh, apart from the car on the court where people are watching the matches and people on sunbeds there. And then when it comes to Rotterdam as well, I know there's been a lot of excitement. And if I was in Europe right now, I'm sure I would be very much uh, all over that tournament mentally. But all I can see is on this screen, we've got Milos Raonic in the quarterfinals. Can somebody tell me how is Milos Raonic in the quarterfinals in Rotterdam? Get your comments in about uh, Rotterdam right now in the chat. Also Argentina and Delray Beach. <clears throat> Please let me know your thoughts on that. Uh, Delray Beach is playing out much like Dallas, says Nick. Thank you very much. Um, any other thoughts on this? I see that we had an early exit for Holger Rune again, and then Holger is also not going to play. I think it's the next tournament he was scheduled to play, which is Los Cabos, I think. Um, uh, Dimitrov, a lot of love for him, none more so than uh, an actor. Someone in the live chat has to tell me a very famous actor I saw watching uh, Dimitrov and pointing at the screen going, that's my Grigor. Rublev losing to Dimonor. That, I wonder, is an interesting result. And um, just where we're at with Rublev right now, sort of clinging on to sort of potential ATP final status uh, and maybe even dropping out of the top 10 at some point this year. Maybe I'm overreacting to a loss to Alex Dimonor, but he is somebody. Mark Wahlberg. Thank you, Nick. Um, <clears throat> um, Mark Wahlberg is not playing Rotterdam, by the way, nor Delray Beach. But uh, he's the actor who uh, uh, seems like he's got a bit of a bromance going on with Grigor Dimitrov. But no, with Rublev, I just wonder. Um, oh, Dimitrov beat him in Rotterdam last year as well. Uh, I remember having a chat with Damien around the time of the ATP Tour Finals last year and thinking, which one of these guys is not going to be here next year? And, you know, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Sinner, Medvedev felt like, you know, Shuins, as we would say in the UK, pretty sure that they will appear there. Um, then that means you've got the rest of the, the the sort of ATP Tour finalists, which were Rublev, Tsitsipas, Zverev. Zverev feels pretty sure as well, and I'm probably missing one player. But Rublev was the kind of full guy in our chat. No ghosty. He was just on his TV, just pointing at his screen, going, "This is my man, Grigor. This is my man," and he posted it on social media and the head-to-head -head now is 4-3 in Dimonor's favor and uh had Nick there saying he was just typing that out I think okay a uh, nice one there for, though for Shevchenko Dimitrov is just becoming Mr Consistency and he's beating everyone who he should be particularly on a hard court so he's into the semi-finals I guess he's up against Dimonor that'll be exciting can anyone stop Yannick Sinner though Arguably, he's got the softest of the quarterfinals. I'm still waiting for someone to explain to me how on earth Milos Raonic is in that quarterfinal. Um, please let me know as soon as possible because I want to transition over to Argentina. Nice comment here from Ghosty on Shevchenko getting better. By the way, do hit the like button on this video, please. And if you haven't already done so, hit subscribe. Let's see how many subscribers we have right now. Um, yeah, some. Lots. We're trying to get to 6,000 as soon as possible. I am in Buenos Aires, by the way, so keep up to date with all the stuff going on here. Uh, Miles is in Delray Beach as well, so please hit the like button and subscribe to the channel so you can...
keep up to date with all things tennis. Okay. Uh, Ryan had impressive straight wins against Jesper de Jong and Bublik. Okay. Okay. Bublik, um, that seems a bit inexplicable, but that's Bublik for you. Okay, let's uh, finally have a look at the Argentina Open. Uh, I will be getting my skates on, as we would say in the UK, to race off there at the end of this podcast. Uh, so we've got these four matches. I see Lajevic lost already to Diaz Acosta. I don't know if I'll make Diaz Acosta's um, press conference. It's going to be in about 45 minutes. So I'll see if I can make that. But actually, I didn't manage to watch that game because I was having lunch. Bad John. But I will be in attendance for the other matches. Uh, Baez, Correa, I might miss the first few games. But I'm very lucky that I'm very close to it right now. Um, Gene as well, just mentioning that serving and returning uh, very well. Listen, there's been a few stories coming out of Buenos Aires this week. Um, and what are they? I think Cam Norrie is one of them. Uh, Cam Norrie, I think he's in a bit of a hole right now. And I remember speaking him in Madrid to him in Madrid last year, where he was aiming to get into the ATP Tour Finals. He is a long way from that right now. He said in his press conference afterwards, that's one of the worst matches he's played in the last three or four months uh, when he lost in three sets uh, yesterday. But three or four months is not a long period. I mean, basically, it's since the Davis Cup, I guess, in November. So I. I don't know how many matches he's played since then, maybe 10, of which he's probably only lost two or three. So, yeah, um, in a way, his opponent let him back into the match at one of, on one or two occasions as well. So, um, yeah, that's that. Um, although Diaz Acosta there uh, beating Lajevic uh, is nice backing that up. Um, yeah, I, I can as well, Nick. I, 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 uh, I think we can see him sort of going down the rankings and being well outside the top 20. He did seem really disappointed. He was ghosty, but I think he's also defending a lot of points right now. I mean, he'll be, his ranking's going to drop like a stone in the next 10 days or so if he doesn't, you know, win Rio, basically, or make the final anyway, because he's defending points there as well. But maybe we're just sort of seeing a reversion to the norm and the Indian Wells was the outlier, perhaps because of the absences in that particular tournament. And of course, he came up against Basilashvili in the final. And also, Clay, is that going to be... I know he loves this sunshine, this golden swing side. And I think I called it the sunshine double before, but um, I know he likes this golden swing, but I just wonder if maybe um, we'll see him here again next year. He might go back to the hard court swing at this period, either in North America or perhaps North America might make sense. Okay, uh, what else? Jari's epic win over Vavrinko. I guess most of the story there was the Vavrinko and the tears in the press conference. Make sure you check out our video where we spoke to Stan about that loss. Um, seemed to take it hard, but primarily because I think he had a lot of love from the crowd here. Anyway, he's off to Rio, so make sure you catch up with him there. Baez and Correa are about to get underway. And then Alcaraz uh, is probably the other sort of semi-story that's been emerging this week. Tears in his eyes, Ghosty. Tears in his eyes, let's say that. But it was because, I think, of the, the warmth he was getting from the crowd, where there was a lot of, lot of support for him, despite coming up against a South American, albeit a Chilean, in that match a couple of days ago. Um, <clears throat> really, will he drop out the top 40? I didn't know that, Nick. Uh, wow, thanks for that mathematics there, because I, it's even worse than I thought. Um, anyway, Alcaraz, yeah, I think the, the win yesterday doesn't really alleviate too many of the concerns about Carlos right now. The forehand was looking much better yesterday, which I think has been a slight issue for him in the last six to eight months. Um, people are getting at him a little bit, particularly the serve and 
Haptcast had to come back from a breakdown yesterday. Um, yeah, so questions remain. I don't think they'll be dispelled, uh, even if he beats uh, Vavasori today. In fact, probably Carlos kind of has to win this tournament now to at least stay on par. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, do like and subscribe. And uh, good to see some regulars in the chat. And we'll uh, speak to you all again very soon. Um, I'm off to go and see some tennis. So, yeah, won only 12% of second serve points yesterday. Yeah, Gene, I think there you go. Getting at that serve, particularly the second serve. He was even being drop-shotted yesterday, which was quite funny uh, to see. And it was an entertaining match, albeit that I think inevitably Carlos won, in fact, once he broke back at two all, which is a pretty lengthy game, I think the writing was on the wall for Carabelli, and that's how it turned out. He should do. Yes, indeed, Nick. Uh, by the way, we're going to have a live watch along for that match uh, later on. I think Damien's going to be bringing us that for uh, us in about three hours from now. So, yeah, tune in for that. And to everybody else, you know the drill. If you enjoyed this video, Make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.